Today's episode is sponsored by TrueLearn. TrueLearn has smart banks of practice questions for a wide variety of high-stakes examinations. Are you a med student? They have smart banks for step one and two. Are you a resident in the field of internal medicine, emergency medicine, or anesthesiology? They have you covered with smart banks for the exams you will encounter along your journey. But this is not only for physicians. PAs and MPs can prepare for their exams using TrueLearn as well. They can even help nurses prepare for the NCLEX. Click the link in the show notes for a discount by using the code EDDIEJOEM. D25. Crush your upcoming exams by using TrueLearn. Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. Today is Sunday, the 16th of April of 2023, and I'm going to be discussing the utilization of thiamine in patients who are critically ill, in particular about patients who are in septic shock. Now, thiamine has been a little bit popularized recently with the whole metabolic resuscitation discussion that took place in numerous trials that have resulted from that. But I'm going to be looking just at thiamine and not necessarily at using glucocorticoids or vitamin C in patients who are critically ill. The reason why this is so important to me and why I like to bring this to the forefront is because I believe that there are certain tools in our tool belt that we don't use. Um, There are certain things that we could potentially use for our patients to help improve outcomes. And given that sepsis and septic shock is something that carries a mortality rate between 20 to 40%, depending on which clinical trial you look at, it's something that we need to do better because at the end of the day, when the new fancy monoclonal antibody or immune therapy is created for the management of patients with sepsis that, you know, we, we know it's all back there somewhere being created and worked on. The reality is that the majority of people in this world are not going to be privy to that actual therapy because it's so expensive. So we need to think about how we could help out the rest of the world, not just those of us who are so fortunate to be in the in the United States. But the one thing I always like to start off with when I'm discussing thiamine is that in reality, this has been studied for decades, okay? And I'm going to be citing a lot of studies because I like to use evidence to support what I'm saying. And all these different articles are in the show notes. So I definitely recommend that you read these these articles for yourself. And as always, this is not medical advice. But the reality is that even in 1988, in a study that looked at 158 patients, they found that 20% of critically ill patients had this underlying thiamine deficiency. And amongst these critically ill patients, the mortality rate of those who were thiamine deficient was 72%. However, those who were non-thiamine deficient had a mortality rate of 50%, which is still definitely high, but nonetheless, less mortality in those patients who are not thiamine deficient. And what came out of this is that the authors concluded that, quote, an association exists between thiamine deficiency and an increased likelihood of a fatal outcome, end quote. So knowing that these many patients were actually thiamine deficient, which later on in 2016, there's data that states that between 20 to 70% of patients have a thiamine deficiency. Well, what could we do about it? And the reality is that Danino published some data from 2010 that states that only one in six patients who are thiamine deficient actually go ahead and receive thiamine in the hospital. And then 10% of patients develop a thiamine deficiency over the first 72 hours of their hospitalization. So this is just something that happens because people don't necessarily eat when they're in the hospital. But one might ask themselves, well, why is thiamine so so important to begin with in the first place, right? Well, thiamine is a cofactor for pyruvate dehydrogenase in order to transfer over from 
anaerobic metabolism over to aerobic metabolism. In other words, if you don't have the appropriate amount of thiamine, then the pyruvate dehydrogenase is not going to go from the pathway that creates just 2 ATP to the one that creates 38 ATP, you know, the Krebs cycle. Can't believe I'm saying that on a podcast and you're actually listening to it when, you know, when you were taking biochemistry, you were kind of snoozing through it. Well, at least I would, maybe I'm projecting to you. But nonetheless, there are other places where you actually need thiamine to produce ATP. Not only is it in the pyruvate dehydrogenase pathway, but in addition to that, the pentose phosphate cycle also needs thiamine to get itself up and running and moving. In addition to that, you also need thiamine for the Krebs cycle itself. So if you have a thiamine deficiency, well, these things are not going to get done at the appropriate rate because in reality, we do not create any endogenous thiamine. And we also do very frequent things to our patients that actually remove thiamine from the body. And those include the utilizations of either diuretics or dialysis in our patients. But the importance of this whole thiamine process in septic shock patients is that they are at increased risk of developing a thiamine deficiency. Why, you may ask? Well, because these patients have an increased mitochondrial oxidative stress. Not only that, as I mentioned before, these patients are not eating. Then to add on to this is the fact that these patients have underlying comorbid conditions where they're possibly not having the thiamine intake that they need to on a regular basis. So I know what you're saying right now. You're like, well, Eddie, I mean, this all sounds fine and dandy, but is there any data to look at this? And I'm going to cite this study that was published in 2016 by Danino, who I've communicated with recently. Uh, Seems to be a fantastic guy who tries his best to put out some good data. And he conducted a randomized control trial, small study, a pilot study. And you're going to see that pilot study, quote, kind of weave itself in and out of this podcast. And for those who don't know, a pilot study is basically a feasibility study. I'm not sure you could use these interchangeably, but it's basically a study that's used as a template for a larger, more robust study. But in this one from 2016 that I'm citing, they performed a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial of thiamine as a metabolic resuscitator in septic shock. And what they did is that they gave these patients 200 milligrams IV twice a day of thiamine versus placebo. And what they were mostly looking at was at the lactate levels. Because remember what I was mentioning that thiamine is a cofactor for pyruvate dehydrogenase. And if you keep on going down the anaerobic pathway, you're going to make lactate. But if you go down the aerobic pathway, you're going to end up making 38 ATPs instead. But nonetheless, when they were looking at the lactate levels of all comers, which was the primary outcome, they found that there was no difference whatsoever. So I know you're saying like, okay, Eddie, well, what's the big freaking deal? And it turns out that when they looked at the subgroup of patients who were who were thiamine deficient, which ended up being 35% of the patients, they found that these patients had a lower lactate level at 24 hours. But that's fine because lactate just a, it's just a number in reality. Although we could go on that rabbit hole on a, on a different podcast on a different day. But amongst the secondary outcomes, and of course, a secondary outcome is not good enough to form any good conclusions from it. But they found that amongst the secondary outcomes, these patients, if they were thiamine deficient and they actually received thiamine, their mortality improved, their, their survival improved. And those patients who are thiamine deficient, if they received thiamine, their mortality was 13%. Versus those patients who were not who were thiamine deficient but did not get thiamine, their mortality was 46%. Now, again, this is a very small subset of a very small trial, but nonetheless, it's worth thinking about. Is this something that 
we could potentially use in our patients to improve outcomes, even with, you know, data that's not so robust. But getting more into that particular study, they even did a subgroup analysis of it. And this was published by Moskowitz in 2017. Again, you can check out these papers in the show notes because I want you to read them for yourself. But they found that the creatinine level in these patients compared to in the patients who received diamine compared to those who received placebo was also improved. So improved renal function. But then when they really, really got into these patients who um, ended up having renal failure, it turned out that 3.2% of patients who were allocated to the thiamine group, only 3.2% of those patients required dialysis, required renal replacement therapy, versus of the 42 patients allocated to the placebo group, 20.5% of patients required renal replacement therapy. So it's pretty neat to see that these, this thiamine, you know, not, not as, not necessarily is it going to help people survive, but it is showing effects that are positive on looking at patients who have, um, who are in need of renal replacement therapy. And this was further seen in a different study, which honestly, it's a, not a very robust study that was published in 2022 by, uh, a couple authors. And again, this is in the show notes, but here in this observational retrospective study, they found that patients who received thiamine supplementation require less renal replacement therapy than those who did not receive thiamine. So there might be something in there for us to explore as to the rates of renal replacement therapy as a reason why we should potentially give thiamine to our patients who are critically ill. To further illustrate and give some more teeth to the Sahakian article that I just mentioned, that poor quality retrospective study, if, if these data turn out to be correct and are eventually proven in a randomized controlled trial in the future, it turns out that the number needed to treat to save somebody from ending up on renal replacement therapy is just 4.3 in order to you know, save somebody, again, from renal replacement therapy. And that, that's just like kind of mind-boggling to me. Although, you know, to be completely academically honest, this was not a benefit that was seen in patients who uh, were in, for example, the vitamins trial, the test trial, all the different trials looking at using IV vitamin C, thiamine, and corticosteroids in patients who are in septic shock. Nonetheless, Danino was going to go back and his team were going to go back and publish some data in 2022 looking at using... Um, thiamine in patients for septic shock and look at their renal outcomes, but I actually communicated with him via Twitter and he was gracious enough to respond to me that they're currently working on the manuscript and such right now. What takes away a little bit of enthusiasm from me is the fact that they may have been sitting on these data and uh, it hadn't been published for a little bit. So uh, I bet if this was groundbreaking data, they would have rushed to have it published as soon as possible. Some other possible benefits from thiamine administration was shown in a study that was published in 2018 in Critical Care Medicine by Woolham and others. And here they found that the patients, if they received 500 milligrams IV every eight hours in, again, this retrospective study over the course of three days, they found that there was improved lactate clearance in those patients who received thiamine. But another thing that they found was the decreased 28-day mortality with a number needed to treat of 20.4, which is definitely a number needed to treat that's a little bit higher than what we would like. They didn't see any difference in the renal protection that was seen in the, the Nino studies and the Moskowitz studies that I mentioned earlier. But nonetheless, it is something that's a little bit, um, I guess, intriguing, so to speak. 
Just to give you a heads up about what's coming up for the rest of this podcast, I'm going to be discussing two papers that were published from the last couple of years looking at thiamine administration in the critically ill patients. The first one was published in 2020 in Critical Care Medicine, and it looks at IV thiamine on mortality in Japan. Unfortunately, the article is not open access, but in this Japanese study, which was a retrospective observational cohort over the course of seven years, they wanted to look at the effect of thiamine administration on mortality. Also, these patients were in septic shock, so therefore they were on vasopressors, in this case, norepinephrine. I really like the fact that they looked at patients who had thiamine initiated early in their course of sepsis. And I really hoped that they would leverage their data collection to also look at other proposed benefits, you know, such as lactate clearance and renal function that I mentioned earlier, as it could be very helpful that these parameters could be actually more easily powered by any sample size than mortality. But something was bothering me about this paper from the start when I started reading it. And in the introduction, they cited the paper that I mentioned earlier from Danino, where the authors state, quote, there was no difference found in shock reversal or mortality, end quote. And while this is technically true for the entire study population, the subgroup analysis, which is what I mentioned earlier of the patients who were actually thiamine deficient, which again were 35% of the participants, it reduced mortality from 46% to 13%, which is a small number needed to treat of just three. Again, but this was a small study, so that's less reliable, but you kind of understand where I'm heading with that. When it came to the study outcomes of this Japanese thiamine study, they only looked at mortality. They did not check thiamine levels on these patients, which is completely okay with me. And the reason for that is because the cost of the lab, at least back in 2020 when I was looking into this, was around $90 in the United States versus the cost of four days of 200 milligrams of, of thiamine IV twice a day for four days is only a little bit more than that. I think it was around $100. But every institution is different on cost, of course, and countries may vary even more. When it came to looking at the dosing of IV thiamine, the other trials used larger doses than what were used here. For example, the Merrick trials and the Nino trials used 200 milligrams IV twice a day. The Willem trial that I mentioned earlier used 500 milligrams IV three times a day. Here, the dosing was either 100 milligrams or 200 milligrams IV daily, which was less than before. When it comes to the outcomes, ultimately, there was no difference in outcomes. They only looked at mortality. They did a bunch of statistical jumping jacks, but to no avail. There was no difference. It leaves us with an answer, but in reality, more questions. For example, was the dose not high enough? Because we have to remember at the end of the day, sometimes these doses are made up out of thin air. And also in Japan, could the prevalence of thiamine deficiency not be as high as it is in other parts of the country where, or in other parts of other countries where the incidence could be somewhere between the 20 to 70% range? And I know that they harnessed the power of their national database for the mortality data, but uh, you know, they, I guess they couldn't extract the, the lactate levels from this, nor the, nor the renal function. But nonetheless, what does this leave us with? Well, it gives us that the dose of either 100 or 200 milligrams of, of thiamine IV daily might be too low, or it just might be that the Japanese people don't have that much thiamine deficiency. This is something where I'm completely displaying my ignorance. But it does tell us that IV thiamine on its own will likely not change mortality, at least at that dose. But the questions still remain because we have to remember, are we giving people doses high enough or is it in fact the problem that it just doesn't work? So let's quickly move on to the second study, and this one was published in April of 2023. 
definitely have to tip my hat to Dr. Brian Krychek for helping me obtain this article. But this was, again, published just this month, April of 2023. And it's a new randomized control trial looking at IV thiamine, which is titled, quote, The Effect of Thiamine on Clinical Outcomes in Septic Shock Patients, a Randomized Double-Blinded Pilot Study, end quote. There's that pilot study word again. And at first, I had high hopes for this as it's published in the Blue Journal. To those unfamiliar with the lingo, the Blue Journal is a nickname for the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. It's honestly the highest impact factor journal in critical care. So usually what they publish there is usually top-notch. The key word is usually. Upon reading the study, though, the first thing that caught my eye was that the study was performed between 2018 and 2019. The issue with the dates here is that it was formally published in 2023. Therefore, almost four years to be sitting on the data. That seems a little bit fishy to me. But other things that caught my eye uh, included an exclusion criteria that included patients who were in the ICU for greater than 24 hours, which I believe it's good. And also that the norepinephrine dose is greater than 2 micrograms per kilogram per minute. Now, this dose of norepinephrine has me a little bit confused. Perhaps somebody will clarify it for me or I can email the authors and find out a little bit more about it. And I believe that this two mics per kilogram per minute might be a typo. The reason I say that is because if we'd be talking about a patient who's 70 kilograms, their norepinephrine dose would be 140 micrograms per minute. I could be doing fuzzy math and I might have that all wrong, but you know, 140 mics is a lot of jet fuel for, uh, for a patient to begin with. But at the same time, I guess it makes it appropriate to exclude those patients because, well, they're likely not going to survive anyway. That's a higher dose of jet fuel, a higher dose of jet fuel than what most people use in their practice anyway. But when it comes to the dosing of the thiamine, here they use 200 milligrams IV of thiamine twice a day for these patients, and it was given for a course of five days. The placebo group received, well, a placebo. An interesting thing that they did in the study was check the baseline level of thiamine, but more on that later. When we compare the two groups, it turns out that both the placebo group and IV thiamine group, at least at first, seem to be evenly matched. But when you look a little bit closer, you'll see that they're not so evenly matched and that might be changing the outcomes. This is what makes me a little bit strange about the fact that the Blue Journal picked this up. But it turned out that the placebo group had a had more thiamine deficiency at 10.9% at of those patients versus just 5.4% in the thiamine group. So right off the bat, um, what went off in my head was the fact that the Danino study that I mentioned earlier from 2016 showed a greatest benefit of administering IV thiamine to those who are already thiamine deficient. So here it turned out that the majority of the thiamine deficient patients were in the control group just by chance, which is the reason why this is a pilot study and why it's underpowered for anything meaningful. But again, underpowered for anything meaningful, but still in the blue journal. Hmm. Also, it turns out that underlying malignancies were more common in the thiamine group at 21% versus 10.3% in the control group. The authors also mentioned that there was a difference in the renal function, as they stated, creatinine levels between the two groups, but I just can't seem to find this listed anywhere in their patients. I also neglected to mention earlier that there was a total of 115 patients. So again, it's not a large study and hence it being called a pilot study. So let's start wrapping everything up by going over the outcomes. As I just mentioned, this is a pilot study, and pilot studies are usually not powered for any real findings. Again, this is why I'm curious as to why this particular paper was picked up in the Blue Journal. Also, 20-day mortality is higher than what we see in most ICUs and higher than what was found in the ARISE, PROMISE, and PROCESS trials. 
And here the mortality was 56 and 60% respectively between the thiamine group and the placebo group. In addition, no difference exists in the survival curves. The length is safe for both the ICU as well as the hospital, vasopressor-free days, and ventilator-free days. It's interesting that they did not look at the lactate clearances was done in the Wollum study that I mentioned earlier. And in addition to that, they did not report any renal-related outcomes as were documented in the Moskowitz paper from 2017. So the reality is, where do we go from here with the IV thiamine? And do I personally think it's a magic cure? No, I I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think we would have seen some sort of serious benefits in mortality. But I wonder if it's. I wonder if we're missing the fact that it could be at least moving the lever or turning down the volume. I don't. I don't know what type of uh, analogy to give here off the top of my head because you know, kind of doing this on the fly. But I think that we could be under treating patients with underlying thiamine deficiency. And I'm definitely looking forward to the Danino study that's currently listed on clinicaltrials.gov. But as I mentioned earlier, it has me a bit worried that the results are not going to be positive because they've honestly been sitting on that data for a while, writing manuscripts and such. If it were going to be earth-shattering and practice-changing, I'm sure that it would have been published by now, or at least in pre-print form. So I know that right now, if you're presenting these data to your local friendly neighborhood pharmacist, they're probably nodding their head and belly aching about the fact that you want to go ahead and use IV thiamine. But there is recent data that you may not be aware of using thiamine for a different indication. And here we're talking about the development of ICU delirium. Believe it or not, this is something that's been looked at in four different trials. It's small patient populations, but nonetheless, the data is compelling because they ended up looking at a total of 18 studies, eight RCTs, and 10 of them were cohort studies. And if you want to look this patient, this patient, I can't even speak, this paper up yourself, it's titled The Effect of Thiamine Supplementation in Critically Ill Patients, and it's a systematic review and meta-analysis. It was published in the Journal of Critical Care in 2021. And what they found when looking at the subset of patients with ICU delirium is that the, the actual delivery of thiamine to these patients produced 42% lower odds of developing ICU delirium. So yeah, if you have 42% lower odds of developing delirium, then that might be something worth exploring and an indication for, you know, something that costs just a couple bucks a day compared to, I don't know, I guess putting somebody on Seroquel or something like that. But nonetheless, I think that's enough of timing for the day. I mean, we've already gone over 22 minutes and I typically don't go this long during podcasts. But overall, I'd like to thank everybody for their support. I hope that you guys learned something from this. I hope that this has been beneficial in some way, shape or form and then translates into something that's beneficial for your patients. Definitely, if you learn anything, the way that you could actually help me is by, uh, you know, checking out my show lo- show notes. Also, visiting my sponsor and I'm glad to have re-upped with them. In addition to that, if you give me a five-star rating on whatever podcast medium you listen to this on, that would be very, very helpful to help this get to new audiences and help the podcast grow. Thank you so much, everybody. Hope you have a great day. Bye.